us, that is our prayer today. That you would fill our hearts, that you would use us in spectacular ways. God, we pray that what you are calling us to, you would make known in our lives. We pray, God, that even in this service, uh, as we give our hearts to you, as we give our lives to you, as we listen to you, you would make it known where it is we're supposed to go, what it is we're supposed to do, who it is we're supposed to speak to about you. And Lord, we ask that you would use us in any way that you call us to. So, Lord, we give our lives to you here today. Bless us as we read the scripture, and may we be listening to your voice and your voice alone. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The scripture that we're looking at today comes from the book of Matthew, and it's chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. So that's Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 20. That is on page 797 in the pews in front of you, or in the, in the Bibles, in the pew in front of you. Uh, that is page 797. And we're continuing our little series here on the life of Peter and Jesus' interaction with them. And the point of this series is that we want to look at where Peter started before he met Jesus, when he met Jesus, and the kind of changes that occur in his life as he gets to know Jesus more and more. So we're in uh, Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Uh, a few years ago, I was at a wedding. Uh, my friend was getting married, and we were at the reception, and my wife and I wanted to get a good picture outside, but we had our three-year-old daughter, and, and we just couldn't coordinate how to hold her and take the picture or set her down and not let her get loose, uh, so to speak, and take her own picture. And this guy came up and said, well, I can take the picture for you. And he was really nice and, and he took our daughter uh, and held her, took our picture. It turned out to be a great picture and thanks for holding our daughter. And well, then him and I got to talking a little bit and I don't know if you've ever met somebody that you know is just like a level above you or a few levels above you, but this was one of those guys. Uh, you know, for, <laughs> I shouldn't tell you this, but first thing he offered me was a Cuban cigar. I don't smoke, so it was, it was a no thank you, but, you know, I'm like, you know, thinking of my uh, current events, and I'm like, I, I think we still got that trade embargo, so how did he get... Well, uh, never mind. Uh, so he's one of those guys that almost immediately I know he's, he's something different than me, and he's 
a little higher than I am, we'll say, on the socioeconomic ladder. But I get to know him, and we're talking, and, and you know, I start to realize he's a businessman. He knows how to handle money. He knows how to handle investments. And, and this is all just small talk. And so at the beginning, I know there's something different about him. But then as I get to know him more, I find out there's something spectacularly different. And finally, I just asked, so what is it you do for a living? And he was a little sheepish, but he said, well, I, uh, I, I am a restaurant owner. I said, oh, that's great. Is it a local restaurant, uh, you know, or is it in another city? He says, well, actually, I own a chain of restaurants. It's like, oh, a chain of restaurants. What restaurant is it? And he said, um, I, I own Lee's Famous Recipe Chicken. Now, I don't know if any of you know what Lee's Famous Recipe Chicken is, but it's just like KFC. It's just like Popeye's Chicken, only better, far better than those. The best chicken you'll ever have. Unfortunately, for Wisconsinites, I think there's only one here in the state over in Wausau. If you want to get a bite to eat after church, you can head that way. But for me growing up in Michigan and going to school in Indiana, there's Lee's Famous Chicken all over the place. And for my family, best, I, that's our favorite chicken place to ever go to is Lee's Famous Recipe Chicken. And here I am at my friend's wedding, and there's a guy I knew was slightly different than me, and then I start to find out he's extraordinarily different than me, and then I find out he's the owner of my family's favorite chicken place. So I called my grandma the next day, and I, Grandma, guess who I met last night? And, and she, you know, she didn't have a clue, and I said, I met the owner of Lee's Famous Chicken. Oh my goodness, did you tell him we eat there all the time? I had a whole conversation about it. For me and my family, I had met a celebrity and my daughter was held by the owner of Lee's Famous Chicken. We all have these kinds of relationships where uh, we enter into a relationship with somebody, a friendship, uh, maybe it's a, a student-teacher relationship, maybe a relationship with your manager or boss where you want to be their apprentice and you want to learn from them. We're all in these types of relationships at least some point in our lives and almost always in those relationships you know they're above you, so to speak. You know they're smarter than you, and you want to be like them. You want to be as smart as they are. You want to be as good as they are at their job. And we're all in those relationships where at some point we begin to realize who they really are and why it is they're the person that they are in their job or business or education. This is Peter's experience and the disciples' experience with Jesus. We talked last week about how Peter was called from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men, where he would be called not just to fish five days, six days a week, and then go to synagogue on Saturday and worship God and then go back to his lifestyle, but it was that he was called into be like Jesus. That was his original calling. He was going to be a rabbi like Jesus was a rabbi. And as Peter and the disciples begin to hear more and more about who Jesus is and they begin to see more and more of the miracles that he performs and he begins to say things that other rabbis, other teachers of Jewish law don't say. He says things like, uh, take up your mat and walk. And 
the person is no longer crippled. They're able to get up from their mat, and they're able to walk away. And then he says things even further when people say, well, how do you have the authority to do that? He says things like, well, what's greater, that I healed him or that I said to him, your sins are forgiven? Jesus is saying things that other teachers and rabbis and religious leaders are not enjoying and are constantly disagreeing with. And the disciples and Peter have a front row seat to this. And so we get to this point in Caesarea Philippi where Jesus, again, is, is teaching the crowds. He's performing miracles. The last one he just performed uh, is the feeding, I, I believe, of the 5,000. Uh, and he has a confrontation with the Pharisees there. And, and they're in Caesarea Philippi. And he finally turns to his disciples. And it, it must have... I don't know. This first question, it must have just been, uh, uh, it must have just been uh, sheer curiosity on Jesus' part. Who do people say that I am? Who, what, what, are, what are people saying about me? Which you'll find if you're ever in a leadership position is one of the most dangerous questions to ask. <laughs> <laughs> because people don't usually go to the positive. When you ask that question, what, you know, if anybody's a boss at work, you probably don't ask, what do my employees think of me? Because it's, even if you're the best boss they've ever had, there's always, oh, you want my opinion? Oh, well, you could let us come in a little bit later in the day. You could pay us a little bit more. You could be a little bit nicer to us when things are getting difficult. You see what I mean? So when Jesus says, who, who do people say that I am? It's sort of a dangerous question because the Pharisees have already made their minds known. These other religious leaders have already let Jesus know what they think. And so now Jesus is asking, well, what about everybody else I've been teaching? And the disciples give these kind of generic answers. They, they say, well, some say you're Elijah, uh, which is a reference to an Old Testament prophet. Uh, and many times uh, there were teachings that Elijah would come back to lead Israel back into a free state. Uh, there were also ideas that maybe his mantle or the authority that he carried as a prophet would, would fall on somebody else. You know, so some people say you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet, which is a way of saying, you know, many people see that you're from God. Uh, many people say, see that you are saying things to us that we need to hear. And, and then they say, well, and then others say you're John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist was a prophet that baptized Jesus, and he ended up being beheaded. And so there were actually rumors going around that Jesus was actually just John the Baptist resurrected, which is an interesting theory because so many people saw those two together, and yet there was this idea going around, well, John the Baptist was actually resurrected, and you are him, but now you call yourself a teacher, a rabbi. So there's saying all of these ideas. And, and here's what's more interesting. First, the question is, well, who do they say that I am? And then he says, oh, okay, that's who they say I am. Who do you say that I am? I, I wonder often why Jesus is asking this question. If he's asking this question because he wants to get to know his disciples more, or if he's asking this question maybe to gauge where they're at. Uh, a lot of you know I, I, I started some work at, at Menards, and, and it's always fun when your boss approaches you and says, Hey, Josh, what are you doing? 
usually it's the wrong thing. And so when Jesus approaches his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? I almost get the sense like he's gauging whether or not they've picked up on who he really is. And he's checking to see, are they ready to move to the next level of discipleship, or are they still in this area? I wonder, too, if he's asking the question because he just really wants to know. You know, or, am I getting through to them? In, in, in what I'm doing, do they get it yet? Do they understand? And Peter speaks up. And, and what I love about Peter, what I just absolutely love, is when everybody else is afraid to speak up, Peter usually speaks up, and unfortunately, nine times out of ten, he says the wrong thing. I just, but that's what I love about him. I, I, I remember I was in a class once, and our uh, professor was, was talking about, uh, about graham crackers and, and who invented the graham cracker. And he said, does anybody here know who invented the graham cracker? And nobody said anything because we didn't want to look like we didn't you know, know anything. So we sat silent. And I remember one student raised his hand and said, Mr. S'more? No, not even close to the answer. In fact, it was, a, it was a Reverend Graham who invented it as a healthy snack. But I remember, you know, feeling bad for the kid because he spoke up when nobody else would speak up. And then he gives an answer that's just absurd. And is, oh, I'm glad that wasn't me. Whew. That's why I don't say anything. But Peter speaks up for the disciples. Nobody wants to answer Jesus because they're afraid maybe they'll get the answer wrong. Or maybe they don't know. And so they remain silent. But Peter steps forward and he speaks up for the disciples and he says, You're the Christ, Son of the living God. And this is a really important statement for one of Jesus' disciples to make because if you look through the book of Matthew, the only people that know that Jesus is the Christ is uh, John the Baptist, all right? You, you see that almost immediately. John knows what's going on, all right? Mary and Joseph, his parents, they were uh, given the information by an angel, by God, so they know it. And then the only other two in the book of Matthew that I can see that Jesus is the Christ and, and, and they know it is, oh, I'm sorry, the Magi. The Magi come, they know that he's, he's the Christ. But then there's the writer of the book of Matthew and you. That's it. Because the writer of the book of Matthew is calling Jesus the Christ, but nobody else calls him that. In fact, John probably knows it, but he doesn't say it. And Mary and Joseph, they definitely know it, but they don't say it. Nobody's made a public statement that Jesus is the Christ. And, and who the Christ is, is that's the Messiah. This is the one that is supposed to come and free Israel from bondage. He's supposed to come. He's supposed to get rid of the Roman government. He's supposed to establish Israel back in their land, and they can begin to make their their laws, they can begin to reconstruct the land that they had before the exile. Everybody is waiting for the Messiah. And this is the first time, 16 chapters through the book of Matthew, that it's stated publicly that Jesus is that Messiah. Not only that, 
Not only that, Peter adds in there, son of the living God, which is a very important statement. When we use the word son, we're referencing child. We're referencing this is my offspring. So when I tell you that I have a son, his name is Jude, what I'm referencing is he's my six-year-old boy and he's my child, okay? Back then, when you would make the statement, this is the son of, you were making a statement of equality, which is interesting if you notice a little bit later, Jesus refers to Simon as Simon, son of John, all right? And he's making a statement of who Peter is based on the man who's his father. But first, Peter makes a statement of who Jesus is based on who his father is. And he says, you're son of the living God, which means Jesus is not only the Messiah that's come into the world to save Israel, Jesus also has the full authority of God himself. The very presence of God in heaven is right there in front of them. This is a spectacular answer that Peter gives. And, he, and when he's giving it, he's the first one in the book of Matthew to say it out loud. And Jesus, you can see and feel his excitement that they get it. They get it. What I've been doing in front of them, they've caught on because he said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Which is a statement saying, you didn't figure this out up here. All right? The, the truth that God has for us is not anything that we can study and attain to. You, you don't get a degree in truth. You don't go to college and after you get a credential and they call you doctor, you can then say, well, now I know the truth. The truth is revealed only by God. And Jesus is saying to Peter, you didn't figure this out just by watching me. You didn't figure this out by studying the scripture and figuring out when the Messiah would come or who God was. You figured this out because God told you. And so Jesus is giving credit to God that he reached Peter. Peter was obedient to what God gave him and proclaimed the message, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And so when Jesus makes this statement over Peter, it's a statement for us as well, that whatever we come to know about God can only come from God. And whatever we want to know about God can only come from God. Anything we've ever learned about God is from him, which means two things for our Christian life. First of all, you can stop working so hard. You can settle down. You don't have to keep working for God to reveal to you who he is. In fact, it might be that you're working a little too hard to know more about God and he needs you to just settle down and listen to him and he'll reveal that to you. What that also says is if you're struggling with any issues of pride, maybe you've read the whole Bible more than once. Maybe there's a sense within you that you've come to attain this truth because you did these things in your life. Once again, you can settle down. God has given that to you. There's no need to worry that you're not working hard enough to grow in God, and there's no need to praise yourself because you're working really hard to grow in God. Any growth that you have in the Lord comes from the Lord. 
All you need to do is listen to him and be obedient to him. So Jesus says this to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he gives this statement. He changes Peter's name. Peter's name is originally Simon. And, and Jesus is the one that changes it to Peter, which in the Greek language, which, which is what the New Testament was written in, is pronounced Petros, uh, which means rock. So Jesus says to Peter, you are no longer Simon, you are now Petros, you are Rock, which in my opinion is a really cool name. I would rather my name just be Rock than Peter. But in any case, he's saying this about Peter, he's changing his name, and what you need to know about the Bible is that names are very important. Names are not arbitrarily given. You name your child based on who and what you want your child to be when they grow up. So when Simon's parents named him, that name Simon comes from the Hebrew, and it means to listen, to hear. So what they wanted him to do was to grow up and be a person that would listen and that would hear, which is really funny when you watch Peter because oftentimes he speaks before he listens. I heard somebody describe him as the kind of person that's fire-ready aim. And so his name being Simon, he would listen, he would hear. But then Jesus comes along and he says, your name is no longer Simon, your name is Rock. Why does he change Peter's name to Rock? It's because Jesus then says, on this rock, I will build my church. The reference he's making is not Peter himself, but the statement that Peter has given. On this rock, the statement that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, he is the Messiah, he is the one that saves the world, he is the one that has full authority from God, this is what I'm going to build my church on. And if you go farther into the book of Acts, where the church first starts, you begin to see only people that make a public statement about who Jesus is have their hands laid upon them and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so when he's saying this to Peter, you are rock, he's changing his destiny. He's changing his outcome in life. He's saying, you are now a part of my church. You are now in this, you might call, an inner circle. And what we see, of course, later is all of these disciples, except for Judas Iscariot, are apostles. They're named apostles to begin the work of the church in the world. And so Jesus makes this statement about Peter, changes his destiny, changes his outcome in life, says, by this statement, I will build my church. And then, he, and then he does just a little bit further. He says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what does that tell you about the church that Jesus is building? It would have to be a pretty shoddy gate for it to be knocked down by this building, right? What kind of gate is knocked down by a building that just sits there? Jesus isn't building a building for us to be in and call that church. Jesus is building an army that would go and rescue people from hell. Take, take that picture really quick. Just think of that. That as Jesus is raising up Christians, as he's bringing them into his church, he says, by this statement, Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are here to rescue people from hell. 
And it all started with Peter's public confession, you are the Christ. And of course, what we see later in the book of Acts is, oh my goodness, that is an army that's built up. The Lord adds to their numbers daily. And we're going to get to that in a few weeks, what that looks like. So what does this have to do with us here today? Uh, what about our relationship with God? What does that look like from, from Peter's relationship? Well, there's only two points I want to make here for us to walk away with. The first is our life with Jesus Christ is a public life. Your relationship with Jesus is personal, never private. It's not something we hide. It's not something we shy away from. It's not something we're afraid to talk about. Because it is a public statement that other people need to hear. It's a statement that actually changes the world. It's a statement that, that when we say it out loud, we're, we're saying some pretty profound things. Because there's people in the world, uh, big people, that say that we're crazy for believing that, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's people in the world that want to reduce Jesus to just being a great moral teacher. And we're here to say he was far more than a great moral teacher. He was the Messiah. He's the one that's come to save our lives. He's the Son of God. He's the one that brings us into a relationship with the Father. So we make a public confession. We let other people know where we stand with God. And then finally, the other point that we have here is our confession of who Jesus is will change our life too. Talk to any Christian. I, I encourage you. I'm going to put you all on the spot here. I encourage you, find another Christian in this church and ask the question, how has Jesus Christ changed your life? You will be amazed at the answers, the profound answers that people will give. And some, and some of it, the simple answers that people give. The simple answers of, well, Jesus saved me from a life of drugs and alcohol. Jesus saved me from a life of, uh, that was sure to land me in the hospital or prison or jail. And then you might have other stories that Jesus is the one that raised me from birth. I grew up in a Christian household, but I believe in him. and He's kept me from those things. So our confession of who God is not only changes the world, but it changes us as well. And as we leave this place, we need to think of Peter and that boldness. Are, are we going to say some pretty, I, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use here. I'll use the word silly. <laughs> we might go out like Peter and maybe say one or two things that later we look back and go, I don't think that made any sense. Trust me, I, I've had plenty of those conversations. But in those conversations as well, we say those things like what Peter said that can only come from God. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you would grow us, that we would grow in you, that you would call us to you. And Lord, we pray that we would not shy away from this public confession that we wouldn't shy away from making these kinds of bold statements to people around us. And first and foremost, that we wouldn't shy away from this bold statement in our own life. God, we pray that you would draw us in such a way that we would personally see you 
as our Savior, as our Christ, as our Messiah, that we would also see you as having the authority that God has, that, that you can save us, you can lead us, you can protect us. But Lord, when we do that, when you do that for us, we pray that you would also lead us out to those friends and family, the people in this world that need to know who you are. Amen.